You are listening to a Mulgrew School podcast. Okay, good morning, everybody. Welcome and thank you very much for coming this morning. Uh, just for curiosity for myself, we'll just do a quick kind of show of hands. How many uh, people here have students in grade six? Okay, grade seven, grade eight, and grade nine. Okay, great, so a pretty nice mix. Uh, by way of introduction, I'd like to introduce Lindsay Burns, who is our deputy head of school. Uh, so please make sure you say hi to her whenever you see her in the halls. And, and <laughs> My name is Michael Linick, and I'm the uh, middle school vice principal as well as MYP coordinator. And so I'm here today to introduce you to the MYP. If you have good background of the MYP already, this session may not be for you. So if you feel like at any time you know everything that's already happening and you want to get up and go, I totally understand. I won't be offended. Uh, if everyone leaves, I might be offended, but if one or two people leave, I'll understand. Uh, please feel free to stop me at any time. This session is really for you. So if questions come up, I'm very happy to answer questions and, and can support you in any way. And this session is just kind of an introduction. And if you'd like more follow-up later or at any time, I'm always available to, to answer your questions and support you as your son or daughter moves through the middle school. So the main purpose of today is to kind of explain a few things to you. One is about the MYP curriculum model. Uh, this session is kind of also helpful for, certain, for parents coming from the PYP, so the primary years program, into the MYP, which is the middle years program, which for us at Mulgrave is the transition from grade five to grade six. Uh, will also be helpful if you come from a more traditional school setting, just to understand kind of how the MYP fits in compared to that. We're also going to talk about concept-based learning within the MYP, assessment in the MYP, which is always kind of, I think, the biggest shift for people, and, and that takes a bit of time to get used to. Uh, so hopefully we'll help you understand that a little bit more today, and then we'll have time for questions at the end. Okay? Thank you. So... This is the basic curriculum model that we have in the MYP, and you see there's always connection between the written curriculum, the assessed curriculum, and the taught curriculum. And this constant connection between each of the three ensures that there's links for teachers and for students. And so when we design our unit plans and when we're designing all of our lessons, we're always thinking about assessment as well, both formative and summative assessment. And so how does our assessment drive the curriculum that we teach? and then how do we teach the students are able to be successful in that way? So what you might notice in the PYP versus the MYP, in the PYP the learning is organized around the traditional unit or transdisciplinary units of inquiry. In the MYP we have interdisciplinary and disciplinary units organized into eight different subject groups, so there's a bit of a difference there. Uh, in the PYP here at Mulgrave they would have had some subject specific courses, but as they enter grade six, then they, they actually see all of their subject teachers. And as you may have noticed... I'm having trouble with it. <laughs> That's, <laughs> as long as you understand the presentation, it's a Siri I'm not worried about yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so both are inquiry-based programs. Uh, Within the PYP, there's internal assessment of all aspects of a student learning, and in the MYP, there's internal assessment based on subject-specific criteria, and at the end of the MYP, we have a kind of culminating project called the personal project, which I'll talk to a little bit later. Uh, in the PYP, that culminating project is the exhibition. So there are quite a few similarities, and the IB is always working to link the, the three programs, the PYP, 
the MYP and the DP. The fact that we are a continuum school, so we have the PYP, MYP, and DP. DP stands for Diploma Program. If some of the terminology, I know lots of acronyms, so please let me know if you need support with that too. Uh, as a continuum school, we work really hard to make sure that the transition for the students is as fluid as possible. It's really important for us that they see the links between the three programs and that the three programs are as congruent as possible. And so we're always working with students to make sure that that transition is very smooth. That being said, entering grade six and seeing the new criteria, seeing different subjects from different teachers is a little bit different. And then grade seven, they see as many as eight different teachers uh, when, they, when they enter the middle school. Okay, so concept-based learning and what drives it. What are the learning goals and how does it help to build rubrics? So really what this is, is that the MYP is a concept-based learning framework and students are required to critically think and transfer knowledge from familiar situations to unfamiliar situations. Concepts can be bridged over different subject curriculum and into other subject areas and real life situations. The MYP itself is a simply concept-based learning framework. So this is where I think one of the biggest benefits of the MYP is that you might see it's a little bit different than kind of traditional schooling. And that's taking the, the familiar, which is kind of more of your lower level understanding where you're recalling information, stating it, and applying that in unfamiliar situations. And we know that that's a really important skill in the 21st century is being able to apply what you've learned. And so one of my favorite things about the MYP is that there's a lot of emphasis on not just recall, but also application. And what we try to do is help the students access the higher level application piece so that they can apply it to real world context and actually understand what they're gonna do with that material. So we require students to critically think and transfer knowledge and, and the idea is there should be concepts as well that bridge between subjects. So even though we're not as transdisciplinary as the PYP because we're in separate subject groups, the idea is that there will still be concepts and, and more importantly maybe skills that transfer some su from subject area to subject area. Uh, and that is one of the things we really put a lot of emphasis on so that the students see, although they're in separate subject areas, there is transfer between the subjects. Uh, in particular with the skills focus so that they understand how you know, research in humanities can also affect research in science. And it's more about the skills that are involved in learning how to research than maybe what they're actually researching themselves. So the idea is that a concept-driven curriculum helps the learner construct meaning through improved critical thinking and the transfer of knowledge. And, and that's kind of what we're all about and that's the most important part for us. So I've got a few slides here that I'd like you to review and I've got a few paper copies first uh, that just talk a little bit about concept-based curriculum. We're just gonna look at the slides for a second, read the slides, and then we'll talk about them after. Ready? Everyone's got this one memorized? Ready to move? 
Okay. Last one. Okay, so just with your, the people that are very close to you, I'd like you to discuss two things. The first one is what were the patterns and consistencies among all of the authors in regard to 21st century skills, and what implications for instructional practice could you draw from these authors? So just about the two questions there, and I've got some paper copies if anyone would like to review what was there. <laughs> so if your group would like a paper copy, I have that. Yeah, anyone? Yeah, sure, no? anyone else? That's it. Just discuss for a second about what you saw. Thirty seconds to wrap it up.
Okay, thank you very much. Sounded like there was some good conversation. <laughs> uh, so I appreciate the activity first thing in the morning here. And now that we've done our little discussion, you might be familiar with this. And that is the test. <laughs> so you'll see, and this may look familiar, it certainly does from my uh, schooling days, name three instructional practices suggested by Schmoker. <laughs> Some people who took pictures are maybe looking back at the phone. Yeah, I saw that. That's, that was smart. Yeah. Uh, what did Lynn Erickson and Tony Wagner say were important 21st century skills? And who is Tony Wagner for 20 points? <laughs> Uh, so I'm sure, again, that some of us have seen tests uh, and examinations that were designed this way. Uh, <laughs> and this is more 20th century style, where uh, there was a, so much emphasis on recall. But obviously, as, as we know, and most people have it with them, with the phone and the internet, the uh, need to recall information that way has really changed. And so it's much more about how we use the information. So in the MYP, the framework that we use, looks much more like this. So questions like analyze and justify, those are things that we call command terms, end up being really important for us to engage the students with how they're supposed to think about the material. And what the rubric style of assessment allows us to do is kind of to create for the students uh, a bit of a different level of how they think. So we have, for example, state the patterns you saw. And so most of the questions that we may be more familiar with from the 20th century style are just about recall and stating. And then as the students move forward, we get them to describe, explain, and then analyze and justify. So part of what's really important is getting the students to understand the difference between those words and what they mean and what we expect when we say analyze versus describe. Uh, and as the students learn about what that means, it allows them to engage with the material at a higher level. And then the recall uh, ties in much more to analyze and justify things where they have to actually use evidence to make an argument. And what that allows us to do is, based on the work that they submit, give them feedback on where they're at. And so you could say, you know, this was more of a state. If you want to be justifying, you need to be providing evidence for your argument. Here's where pieces of evidence could have been in that article. And so it allows us to really identify where the student is in terms of their output, and then provide them specific feedback about how to improve. So we look at State is the basic knowledge acquisition. And you'll see here we have kind of the score of 1, 2. That's just an example from our score of 8 that we'll come to later. But that's kind of what we would expect at the most basic level for students, is that they can kind of state back what we've, they've heard. And then when we ask them to explain, that's where they're making meaning of what they've read. So not just reading it, but actually understanding it and being able to explain it back potentially in a different way. And then analyze and evaluate the pros and cons allows them to transfer the knowledge that they have to apply it in a way that might be new. And that is ultimately where we want all students to be. When they get there is a little bit different, and that's also something that's really important about the MYP framework as well, and we'll touch on that again. Uh, and so that kind of leads us into, from the concept-based curriculum, what does assessment look like then, and how does assessment help support that concept-based curriculum? So we have the MYP objectives, then all of our assessment is criterion related, and assessment for learning is really important as well. So in the MYP, we have uh, the three main objectives. We have year one, year three, and year five, 
which are the initial objectives, the interim objectives, and the final objectives. We understand that uh, a student who's in grade six will not necessarily have the same capacity to uh, recall and then also explain the information as a student who's in grade 10. So that's a pretty big gap. And because of that, uh, the rubrics actually change for each course slightly as you move through the program. So there are three separate rubrics, the initial, the interim, and the final. Uh, and they kind of tell you exactly what the students should be able to do at the end of what we would call year one, which is grade six. Year three, which ends up being grade seven and grade eight is technically year three. And then where we want them to be in year five, which is at the end of grade 10. And I think a real strength of the MYP program is as in the, over the course of those five years, the students become very familiar with the rubric style of criterion-based assessment. And they also uh, start to become more confident in how to approach attacking assessments and assignments with the rubric in mind. And so that's why I think, although it can be very challenging for some students in grade six because there's a bit of a transition, we really are looking at the program as a five-year program. And so where they are at the beginning, middle of grade six, will have no indication necessarily of where they'll be by the end of grade nine and 10. And that's a real strength is that uh, in grade six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10 in other systems, you know, one year ends and the new year begins and it can be completely different. There's really, really strong continuity in the years of the MYP and it allows students to build confidence throughout all of their years. So even if you have a student who's new in grade nine this year, they still have two full years of the MYP to kind of get ready for the end of grade 10, which is where we make kind of a more final judgment about where they are uh, over the course of the whole program. So this just looks at kind of the comparison between a more traditional and criterion related grading. So in traditional grading, you'll see there's kind of by assessment category. So you might have four assessments throughout the year in a traditional grading system. Each one is weighted absolutely equally, 25% each. And, and that's kind of, you know, that was certainly the system I was used to is, is whatever you did at the beginning of the year had a pretty big impact also on the end of the year. Uh, with criterion related grading, the gradebook is categorized by criteria, not necessarily by weight. And I'll kind of come back to this. Typically, traditional grading is norm referenced, whereas we're criterion referenced. And what that kind of means, I think, is for the students, whenever we give them a summative assessment, which means it will contribute to their overall MYP levels, uh, it's criterion referenced. So it always will come attached with the rubric. And it allows students to actually know exactly what they need to do to achieve the highest levels. And I've included a rubric later that we can look at uh, just so you can get a better picture of what that might look like for a student who's getting an assignment. But the purpose behind that, and, and when we talk about assessment kind of driving learning as well, is right from the outset of the assessment, the student knows exactly what the final product should look like. And I think that's also really, really important for students with their learning is there's no mystery. <laughs> we really are not trying to hide anything from them in terms of what they need to do to be successful. And so it, instead of them kind of spending time trying to figure out what they're supposed to be doing, we're supporting them and making sure that they're kind of hitting all the points to be as successful as possible. Uh, in traditional grading, there may be behavior, attitude, effort, or attendance marks that are included. We have none of that as well. Their final level is only driven from the work that they submit. We look at penalties and extra credit for certain parts of work. In this case, everything that they do must be attached to work compared to the criteria. And again, I think what's most helpful for that is there's no uh, subjectivity in terms of, you know, well, this teacher is saying attendance counts, this teacher isn't, and we all assess by the criteria. So if you're in Science 7, we're all using the exact same rubric, 
and we moderate the work together to know exactly kind of where we're each grading, and that really decreases that subjectivity that can, that can happen between subject teachers, and then even in the bigger picture, across subjects as well. So another really important piece is that we use a lot of formative work with practice for student feedback, and the summative work comes after the students have done formative work that prepares them for it. So we also are trying all the time to, to show students in smaller pieces how they can be successful when they put a big summative assignment together. Are there any questions about this in particular? Yeah? So it depends on the teacher. The teacher may provide uh, a judgment against where they think they're at at the time, but it may not necessarily contribute to the actual overall summative grade. Yeah, so they'll say, you know, you're probably achieving in the level 5-6 band. You know, this is what you need to do to get to the level 7-8. You're in the 3-4 band at this point, or you're a blend of 2 and 3. This is what you would want to do to get to 4-5. or five. Yeah, yeah. It would depend. Sometimes they'll give them a boundary, and some teachers will actually choose very intentionally to avoid the number. What we find is as soon as we put a number on a student's assessment, they look at the number and then close the assessment. And so what we do is we'll sometimes just use the actual like, feedback criteria from the rubric or feedback without a number at all on the formative assessment to ensure that they're reading it and trying to take that in. Yeah. So this one may look kind of confusing. You definitely do not need to memorize this in any way. Uh, but a few years ago now, what the MYP did is there used to be uh, four different criteria, but they were out of different scores, and that made it a little more confusing for students. And what they did to simplify is, is now there are just the four criteria per subject, and each criteria is out of eight. Okay? And what they tried to do is make them a little bit more congruent between all subjects, that in the idea that it would help students kind of transfer from one subject to the next. So what these are here is language and literature, which is kind of typically what people would know as English, Language acquisition, so we call that language B in the MYP. And here that would be uh, French, Mandarin, or Chinese. In grade 10, there's also Spanish. Individuals and societies, which is kind of the more traditional humanities social studies course. The sciences, math, arts, uh, physical and health education, and design. So these are the major eight courses that the students take. And then we also have uh, MYP projects and interdisciplinary units. So what you'll see traditionally is your student, son or daughter, will be in these eight courses. And these are the specific criteria levels that the students have to be able to be successful at on a score out of eight. And I'll, I know that's kind of confusing, but I'll show you a couple examples again that will hopefully help. So criterion A typically tends to be a little bit more of the traditional uh, knowledge recall criteria. So th that's where often teachers will be doing more of, uh, that's where you see more tests and a lot of kind of testing the students' knowledge based on what they've learned. And so if quite a few are actually uh, kept as knowledge and understanding, which is helpful because the students can transfer, oh, I know it's criterion A in science. That's similar to criterion A in math. Uh, criterion B is a little bit different. This is about investigating, planning, and developing skills. So it might be about research. It might be designing investigations in science or math. Uh, but that's more about, so it's less about knowledge and more about applying when you're trying to design an investigation or complete research for an assignment. Uh, this then is about the actual production or the communication of what you've learned. 
So it ties often quite highly into criterion B where they might be doing research for a project and then the criterion C is how did you produce the work that you researched and how did you communicate that back? And then criterion D is slightly different but it's about critical thinking, uh, applying things in the real world, the impacts of science, reflecting, improving, evaluating. And so we know that a really important skill for students is to be able to evaluate and reflect on work that they're doing and they've learned. Really, really challenging thing to do. I always say it's often one of the most challenging things to do, but Criterion D addresses that. So each of the criterion address something slightly uh, different within each of the subject areas. So what I did here is I attached a year five Criterion C rubric. And we will post these slides in connections, so if you're interested, you're, you'll be able to access them at any time, uh, just as a reference point or anything you might be wanting to go back and look at. If you have further questions for me, you can use this. But I wanted to include this for two reasons. And, and one is, uh, as we're looking at this, there's two columns in this rubric, and this is the column that's consistent for uh, what we would say is criterion C. So Every science criterion C rubric the students would get in a year has this exactly. So, and, and some of the words that we talked about prior, like state the validity of the hypothesis as opposed to evaluate the validity of the method. So that's where those command terms that I was talking about a little bit earlier allow the students to kind of see where they are on the rubric versus where they might want to be. And, uh, what we do to support the students in understanding this rubric, because I, I mentioned it can be hard for them to know what it means to state versus explain versus evaluate, is we have a task-specific version attached to it. So in this case, this is our suggestion of how you can get to these levels. And we think that that's really helpful for the students, is that we've kind of taken a bit of time to try and think about, well, what does it mean for us in the science department to correctly collect, organize, transform, and present data. And so in that case, in science, we look at you know, clear access labeling, large graph, data table all on one page, only the average data graph. Again, that's not important for you to remember, but the idea is if the students see this, it might be more challenging for them to know what that means. So we've tried to kind of break it down for them, and this happens in all subjects as well. So this is the part that will always be consistent in science with Criterion C, and this will change slightly depending on the activity that we're doing to help students understand how to reach these levels on their assessment. Does that make sense? And I think the most important piece with this is this is one of the first things that we give the students when we give them this assignment. And so when we're outlining what the assignment task is, this one I think is an electricity investigation where we're looking at uh, applying different lengths of wire. I know it's boring probably for you, but it's great. <laughs> uh, and what, what we do is as I'm outlining that assignment to the students and telling them kind of what they need to do, we also will show them this and they're given this and I'll speak directly to this rubric and say, if you want to be at this band in particular, these are the things that you need to do. And for example, we've already done this year as part of our digital literacy and science, uh, a project on how to complete graphs with appropriate titles and labeling. So that would be a formative piece that then later ties to their summative assessment, which would be this electricity investigation. So that's kind of how you might take a small piece, which is the graphing, and which is later applied to a much bigger piece, which would be the formal lab report. Okay. Any questions about the kind of rubric or task specific?
So I've included uh, a basic breakdown for a number of students that we just kind of have chosen randomly. So as I mentioned, each criteria, and I'll flip back just quickly to this, is out of eight. So if the student kind of hits all the objectives here, but isn't meeting any of the objectives here yet, they would likely be a level two. And what we would do for the student is we would highlight that band on the rubric and then provide feedback as to how they can improve. If they, let's say that they've kind of met all the objectives here, and then they're meeting two or maybe three objectives in this band, that would likely move them into a five. So if they're kind of completed almost everything here and a few of these here, we would likely move them into a five. And that's where the teacher has a bit of leeway to decide, you know, where the student is making progress and where they're at overall. What gets tricky sometimes is, you know, if they've done five of these here and one here, <laughs> right? And I, again, I think that that's uh, a real benefit to the NYP, though, is the teacher is then able to make a judgment based on what they think the student is at overall. So where small mistakes then may not necessarily hinder them from reaching the higher bands if they're doing some of the really important things we talk about, like explain and evaluate at a high level. So if they're showing that really high level of thinking but have made a few minor mistakes, they can still be reaching the higher bands. Okay. So coming back to this, uh, what we looked at is just a few different potential student profiles and how their overall mark becomes generated. So here are the four science criteria. And by the end of term one, so by the term one report, each student will have a minimum of one of these assessments. So this student X achieved a level two in Criterion A, a three in Criterion B, two in Criterion C, and a one in Criterion D. So these would all have been, those levels are all generated from how they did on the rubric. So basically you take that rubric score and you transfer it over to something like this. That ends up being a total of eight out of a possible 32. And that then allows us to convert that 8 out of 32 to a 1 to 7 score, which is how we uh, assess throughout the NYP and the diploma program. So at the end of the year, there's no uh, like letter grade or percent generated. They're given a score from 1 to 7. And we use this here to help us know exactly where the student is at from 1 to 7. So this is just a, a range of different ways to get different scores. So 8, 16, and 30 uh, out of 32. Yeah. Just a question: If there's eight, why is the score only up to seven? <laughs> uh, good, it's a very good question. There's, <laughs> uh, there's no. I'm not sure. So, I mean, quite simply, I think maybe they, to make sure within each band there was two potential levels, so you could either be fully meeting the band or half meeting the band. And then when we switch to one to seven, what Ms. Moore or Melissa is saying is that there's, and we've got the description here, there is a description attached to each of what the IB levels is. So if you're a level one, the description attached to that is produces work of very limited quality, conveys many significant misunderstandings or lacks of understanding of most concepts very rarely demonstrates critical or creative thinking, very inflexible, rarely uses knowledge of skills. So this is, you know, with that whole breakdown here that we got the student to eight out of 32, that fits them into level two, and that's the descriptor for a student who's at level two. 
that makes sense. There was another question, yeah? This one? Oh, very good question. So this side here. That's like the first part. And the second part, does it change from course to course? Yes. So this part here is set by the IB. So this is mandated by the IB in the MYP. So any school that does MYP science has this rubric. This is the, the piece that as at Mulgrave, we've included to try and help the students understand what this means. And these rubrics will be different in each subject. So this is just specifically for science. The, the specific objectives within these levels will be different in humanities and English. Very good question. Thank you. And you'll see as students move up and get to grade 10, so if you're a 5, it's just another step below. You'll see more and more they don't need that task assist as much because they've been through the program and year 5 for the last year of the program. So they know the demands from that is set by the IB, and they're starting to really use those and understand those as they move up into the deep course. This is kind of a scaffolding piece for us where we're just trying to work with the students to help them interpret what these things mean. Yeah. Uh, so another thing that's kind of tricky sometimes, especially if you come from a different schooling system, is uh, seeing your potential son or daughter get a 3 out of 7. Because if you see a 3 out of 7 in, in your mind, that's less than 50%. And that <laughs> might set off some alarm bells about uh, you know, how your son or daughter is doing. And, we really are working to kind of change that mentality and that's one of the reasons we have this session here is so people start to understand what a three in the IB means. And so I'll just give you a second to, to read the, the bullet point for three there. I think what is so important is this, you know, this descriptor certainly does not tie to what you would think about a student who's getting 42%, right? In a general course, if they were getting 40%, you might be quite concerned, and this would not describe how they were doing. So what we're trying to say is that students who are achieving level three, four work are actually producing good quality work. What they may not be doing yet is applying it at the higher levels. And I think what's so important and what's such a nice benefit of the MYP is for students in grades six and seven in particular, there's a big transition for them. And they may start the year out here. And so if you see this on the first term one report card, I think it's really important that that's not a time to panic yet. And because the MYP is a year-long program, and uh, one piece that's also so important with that to think about is, we talked about how in traditional grading, if you have four assignments throughout the year, each one is weighted at 25%, and at the end of the year, each one counts for kind of a quarter of the grade. If a student starts uh, producing work that's overall level three at the beginning of the year in the MYP, and then by the end of the year, all of their work is at level six, we don't average and kind of give them a four and a half. If by the end of the year, they're producing level six work, they are level six. And, and that is maybe the <laughs> biggest strength, is it's, very, it's a very growth-minded program. Uh, where we don't hold students kind of accountable for where they were at the start of the year because we know that hopefully throughout the year they will show improvement and if they show consistent improvement throughout the year 
they're rewarded for that by achieving the level that they're at at the end of the year. And so as you can anticipate, we also hope to see a bit of an upwards trend as students go from grade six all the way to grade 10 because understanding how to use the rubrics uh, as well as how to achieve because you understand that gets better. It's a skill as well to understand how to use the rubric to, to achieve well in assessments. And so as the students become more familiar, uh, they'll be much more successful. And so for in new students in particular, if you're completely new to PYP or MYP, they do struggle with this at the beginning. And that's very common because they're, they're often not used to having the rubric assessment. And so sometimes they just mig miss big pieces of it. And our job as teachers is to make sure that we highlight for them how to use this rubric to be successful. And so we tend to see a lot of improvement in new students from term one to term two as well. But really, if your son or daughter is new to Mulgrave this year in grade six to 10, uh, give them a little leeway, especially at the beginning of the year, in learning how the program works and know that we will support them as best as possible uh, to make sure that they understand it as well. And we've got some parents here I know who were new last year, and so hopefully they agree. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, that's exactly the point. So the, as soon as we assign the rubric with every assignment, or sorry, with the assignment, with every assignment we have, there's a rubric attached right away. And the teacher will highlight that as well as they introduce the assessment. And there is a formative assignment before? Depends. I mean, in some ways, and that's the thing that I talked about that could be somewhat challenging about the MYP is that technically almost everything right up to the end of the year is formative. And whatever that kind of final assessment is ends up being the summative because they're not necessarily weighted equally. Uh, so th that's where there's a bit of a, a trick in there. Are there any questions about this? This might be worth reading as well. Just take a second to read level seven. There is often kind of an expectation that, that students from their parents should be here right away. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, you know, it happens, right? And that you should start here and you should stay here. <laughs> and if you're not here or here, you're not doing a good job. And uh, believe me, that is not always the case. Our goal certainly is to help every student get as close to this as possible. Uh, and we will work with them to do that. But not all students start here. And this may not be appropriate for all students. For some students, achieving a level five is right where they need to be and we will work with them and do our best to get them to improve, but this is also high quality work. I think that's important to, to mention is that a five is producing high quality work. This is very high quality, innovative work. I mean, this is, if you look at some of the words that are in here, these are really challenging things to do, especially if you think of a student who's in grade six or seven, producing innovative work with expertise in a variety of <laughs> complex environments. That's, I mean, that would be challenging for most of us. So I think it's important uh, to keep that in mind when you're looking at assessments uh, for your son and daughter is that the level five is really high quality work and that this is really towards that kind of striving for excellence piece. And this is why we have this slide. And, and you know, I think it's important, I'll come to it in a second, that, that people really take a look at this, is that 
Level three and four is truly meeting expectation. And I know that's a shift if you've been in the traditional system where four to seven doesn't really sound like where you might want to be. <laughs> uh, but, but this is a really, really important piece. And as we get into the five and then six and seven, the student is truly exceeding expectations. Uh, and we host multiple sessions throughout the year about university acceptances and what it takes to get into university at a, at a later time. And we start those discussions with our students as well in the middle school because we know that that's really important. Uh, but you know, we're still understanding that there is a transition time for them in the middle school and that they will improve and that they do mature uh, as they go through the school as well. So again, where they are at the beginning of grade seven is, very, is a very poor indicator of where they might be at grade 10. So I think uh, what we do as teachers in the MYP is we are really clear with the students about what work they should be doing outside of school. And when we set tasks and reading and, and homework assignments, we also support them in how much time they should be spending on them. Uh, we don't ask that students who are trying to meet level six and seven spend really additional periods of time. They should be getting that level of enrichment in class as well. So often it can be the level of, or the way that a student engages with text. And I think that's why the command terms are really important as well. So as opposed to reading just to be able to state what you've heard, if you've got guiding questions that help you think about analyzing, as you're reading that same piece of text that all students are reading, they can be engaging at different levels. And the feedback that the teacher will provide to the students should help them know how to improve and get to that higher level. So I think to that point, it's not about necessarily spending more time with the material, but it's actually about how you engage with the material you're provided. And that should be driven by uh, kind of guiding questions from the teacher and understanding about how to uh, reach those points on the rubric. So we would kind of give students feedback on how to do that. Uh, in terms of, so let's say, for example, in science, like in, in unfamiliar situations, we give them a, a simple circuit program and then build a more difficult one and apply it. That's where the students are then taking their kind of basic knowledge and applying it to a new situation. So we're not asking them to have gone outside and done like more research on something and then we kind of throw it at them. This is more like applying what they've done in a new way, if that makes sense. I think too we see success in our students at a higher level when they're balanced approach at school. So they're doing their schoolwork, they're using their class time well, but they're involved in athletics, they're involved in creativity, they're involved in service, and they're really learning from others and their peers, and they're also balanced within their approach to their academics. So they're able to apply all that extra to unfamiliar situations in the classroom because they are coming at a balanced approach, right? When we find students are only focused on academics and are going to extra classes and tutoring, that's when we actually see it's not as beneficial for our students, right? So it's a bit of a shift there because, you know, we read these descriptions and we're like, oh wow, that's, you know, quite high level for them to achieve. 
but we find our students that are the most balanced are the ones that are starting to, as they go through the MIT, reach those higher levels. Right, so I think that's just a really important thing to keep in mind, especially at the middle school age, is like we, we, we really need them to be balanced within their education. We encourage the same too as they transition to the diploma program. Uh, I've taught myself uh, all the way from grade seven up to grade 12. I also taught higher level biology in the senior school for five years here. And so it's helpful for me to know uh, what the end goal is as well. So the higher level biology class is the kind of equivalent first year biology at university. Uh, and just like Melissa said, it's often not the students that spend all of their time outside of class uh, working that really achieve there. I think balance is so, so important. And we see like that is really tied to anxiety when they spend so much time outside of class doing extra work. It's really important that students are well-rounded and the, that's a big part of the IB philosophy as well. Uh, and so I have definite experience with students who have achieved level six and seven in the higher level biology, which gives them first year equivalency and are playing uh, two or three sports at Mulgrave. Uh, they're going on every choir trip and every band trip. So that's also really important to consider as well is that you can meet these expectations and still do a wide range of things. So uh, as, long, as well as the actual criterion levels and the levels of achievement, we also understand the importance of students' approaches to learning grades. And so this is much more about the skills that the students have that allow them to be successful. And this is such an important piece, especially for your son or daughter in the MYP when you see the report, because it gives a bit of a broader picture about what they may be like in class with their organization and their reflection. And so being organized, we understand, is so important. And so we assess within each class also uh, bits and pieces about their organization. So the student's report card will contain an ATL grade for five specific learning skills that I'll go over. And this is for all core MYP subjects. Uh, the LEAP program and the Life Skills program may not be able to assess uh, each ATL. So in a, a LEAP program where you're not handing in work, there's obviously no way to assess how the student is at handing in assignments. So that's why you may see that those are not on there for simply for the LEAP programs and also the uh, Life Skills courses. And these grades provide a profile of each student's development in their organization, collaboration, and self-improvement skills. And these come from uh, our 21st century skills. And we understand that in order for students to be successful, just not only at Mulgrave, but beyond in the world, they need to be organized, they need to be able to collaborate, and they need to be reflective and be able to improve. And so we provide them uh, assessments in that as well and support them in that because we understand that at, as well as the subject material itself, being organized in your work and how you approach assignments is as important or potentially more important when you go forward in further education. So each teacher provides a judgment of your child's development in each of these areas and students will also have frequent opportunities to self-assess their progress. Again, we think it's really important that students have a sense of where they think they are because the best way for students to approve is to uh, identify themselves exactly where they are. If I tell them where they are, it's nowhere near as beneficial as them making an honest judgment of where they are because then if they can identify where they are, then they can think about steps to improve. If it's always me telling them where they are, they don't have to think as much about it. And we really encourage the reflection piece as well with our students. So the terminology that's used for our ATL assessments is a little bit different. We have the R, E, U, and M. So requiring support is for students that are introduced to the skill, can watch others performing it, require reminders, and are support uh, to execute the skill. So they're doing it with supervision or with reminders often. 
uh, emerging. Students copy others who use the skill and use the skill with some scaffolding and guidance. Using, students employ the skill confidently and effectively. And modeling is where students may actually be demonstrating for other students or supporting other students in how to apply the skill. Again, we would hope that most students end up kind of here. If you're seeing a lot of R and E at the beginning of the year, again, not a big cause for concern. What I would say is if that's the case, this is a really good time to either yourself reach out to the teacher or probably both. Have a conversation with your son and daughter about why these are happening in class and why they think they might be showing up and then reach out to the teacher and have a conversation with them as well. Our teachers are here to help and to support you and your son and daughter. So if you have these questions about why your son or daughter might be receiving all E's or R's, the idea is we want to highlight that, early, or highlight that early on in the year to try and make sure that we have the opportunity for the students to improve their behavior throughout the year. And we'll support your son or daughter to improve that as best we can here at school. Uh, you shouldn't necessarily be looking to see all M's again. I understand that being the top, that's what people would like to see, but it's, it's difficult for a student in grade eight to not only organize their own work, but model and support other students in organizing their work as well, right? So, so just keep in mind again that, that this is good and lots of students will be emerging. It's not a skill that they'll have necessarily right away and so emerging is not a bad thing. This just breaks down a little bit and I'll just give you a second to read these yourselves. Uh, under organization, we've broken them into meets academic deadlines, uses class time effectively, works effectively with others. So I'll, I'll let you read the descriptor just for a second. So these are three of the five, and then here are the two reflection skills. Are there any questions about any of these? This is our uh, middle school handbook, and the link is here. So we update this each year. Uh, if you're interested in finding out a little bit more information about the middle school and the MYP, uh, this is the link that you should use. It has lots and lots of information for you, and if, if you need any support, that's a good place to go. Uh, <laughs> it's very long, and it, if it's color, yeah, it'll be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it's a really helpful resource and we'll attach this link in connections this week as well with the presentation uh, so that middle school parents have it and, and can access this at any time. Uh, this is a good resource. I like to think I'm a better resource. So if you have questions that are specific to the MYP at any time for your son or daughter, please don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, the best way I think for us to support your son and daughter is if we're in communication. Uh, and if you're in communication with your teachers, the only time that I think issues arise is when people don't communicate when they have questions. So we're here to support you and especially if you're new to Mulgrave, uh, there can be so many things that are new at once. Don't hesitate to just shoot me an email, pop in and see me, quick phone call, whatever, whatever is easiest for you and I'm happy to be there to support with whatever you might need. That goes for grade six parents too. We know that you guys are in the junior school mm -hmm. division. 
Uh, I just posted these for your interest, and again, we'll post the slides if you don't need to know these dates yet. But the first uh, report that you'll get is called our Progress Run Report. And on that report, because it comes up actually fairly quick, not all teachers typically will have a full criterion assessment for A, B, C, and D. So that's an ATL judgment only. So what you'll see in each of the courses is the teacher will give you an update on where your son or daughter is at in terms of their approaches to learning skills. So that's the REUM scale that we just looked at. And so it gives you a, an opportunity to kind of see how they're doing with organization. Are they reflecting on assignments? And it's, it's meant to be kind of, for yourself, a quick update on where they're at in class. And then at uh, Thursday, February the 14th, they'll get their first full IB level from one to seven. And so that's where you'll see a, a breakdown of how they did on each criterion, as well as their overall one to seven score. Uh, a little bit closer to the date, uh, I've got it posted here. I'm hosting another session about understanding report cards. So if you're interested in that, that's a really kind of nice progression for this, where I break down exactly what the report card looks like and how to understand that report card in more detail. So if you found this helpful, that session is more helpful for understanding the report card. And then the final report card is posted to SECTA in June. The next session is October the 23rd. And that's where we'll talk about uh, a focus on understanding the report card and kind of knowing how to use the report card to best support your son and daughter and understand where they're at and how to progress forward. Any questions? So is this situation regarding the report card, like my son was in grade six last year, so still even though you said that throughout the year they're going to get different uh, criteria and grades and then at the end of the day uh, So they'll still, they would still see each criteria level because that's how we calculate wh where they're at. But, uh, and like that would be tracked in SECTA. But on the report, at the final report card especially, you would just see their overall level of judgment. So I guess another thing that might happen is if the student gets a level three in one assessment and a level six on the final, the teacher may also make a judgment that, and this is a nice thing about the MYP, overall the student is not maybe at level six, they may be at level five because of the difficulty of the assessment and other formative pieces of work. Yeah, but the sum number that they get at the end of the year, the final grade, would be the total of the criteria yes. the numbers they got. Yes, and so that's... This contradicts what the, the NYP, the... Oh, okay. The, I mean, it says, like, it's not uh, what they get throughout the year uh, it, so equally, you so know? So teachers are looking at most consistent, most recent. So they're mm -hmm. So on their progress to 
show a progression and a depth, but they might get a level three depending on how that, that rest of that year has gone, that most consistent, most recent performance part of it. Yeah. Yeah, it. So like, let's say they get they got four A's. Their the final their final grade would be the total number they got at the end of the year. So so if they get that also in other schools like if they look at the the total number they got at yes. the final grade or they get the like what they got in the last uh, report card. So they yeah I think maybe the the question is about like if they got four A's okay. the sum would be thirty two. And we use that to then convert to a seven. So at the, the actual 32 ends up not really being relevant. What's relevant is just the seven. And there is no level eight. So even though they got four, I think that's what throws people sometimes is even though they get four eights, level seven is the highest that they can achieve on the one to seven, on the overall scale. Does that make sense? Not really? I'm talking about the total number they get. Like if we forget about the, the five, six, and seven and everything, the total number that they get at the end of the year considers the final grade, right? The like final level. The final level. Which or would be like a level five, six, or seven. Uh, or, or I'm just talking about the, the particular number only, the, only the number, the total number. Yeah, like which, that's what that would be. Yeah. They would get a final level of a one to seven. Okay, but then, then again, like if in the, in the last report card, they were level, let's say, five, mm -hmm. and throughout the year, most of their criterion were level three, but at the end of the year, they would sum up, and then they would be in another level, so that also equally contributes to the total number they so get. So all their assessment, all their summative assessment tasks and formative would inform for the whole year, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, so And in the in the report session, we can we'll look at how teachers might generate grades as well. So if you know, like maybe what you're saying, if, if they've got a level three, 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 five, uh, it would really depend on the student. If you would assess them at a five because their last assessment was a five, it might be more appropriate. They might be appro more appropriate as a three or a four because that's what they've been most consistently achieving. It would depend on the assessment task that was done at the end and and how that assessment was arrived at. I think as well. So, okay. Other questions? Yes. So what about vice versa? Say, from the very beginning, they're five, six, or less, and they're busy, and the most you see, you think uh, uh, progression uh, close to the report card and going a little bit down there. Mm -hmm. So probably that people's feeling might be, you know, depending on certain situation. Yeah, and I think each situation is a little bit different, especially if, for example, myself, I know that something happened towards the end of the year, and the student has been consistently getting fives in criterion all, all year. They've gotten five in criterion A, five, 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 and then they got a three. They would likely be a five. You know, it might be the case where if it's a summative, if it's a large summative assessment task at the end of the year in grade nine, where that might be their final exam. So it was fives for the individual tests, and then on the final exam, they got a three. That might be more likely that they would be an overall four. 
because the, the summative task there was the big picture, can they put it all together at the end? And so in that case, it might drop. But if there's just kind of one that drops throughout the year, typically we understand that that can happen. Yes, in a, in a few of the subject areas. <laughs> <laughs> it's early to be worrying about that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, so <laughs> just quickly to that, knowing that those summative exams come in grade 11 and 12, uh, particularly in grade 12, we think it's important that we build and develop the skills. So... Uh, Wait a little bit more the summative... It, only for one criteria. Oh, okay. That, it gets a little oh, bit... Yeah, or it could be it's depending on the... It might, be, it might be more criteria per subject. It varies a little okay. bit depending on which subject. We'll come back to that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I have a question. Yeah, of course. So if a student gets uh, fired for Ivy School, and if the students develop consistently, what kind of an Ivy score can they get as the final exam for Ivy Grade 12? Oh, so let, like, let's say if they're... If they're uh, like consistently getting level fives in grade ten, for example, what would they get on the what would they get on the grade twelve exam? Yeah, for the yeah that would <laughs> that would be really hard for me to predict. <laughs> uh, I, I think what is important is that a lot of our teachers who teach grade ten also teach grade eleven and twelve, uh, and so that's really beneficial because they know what the end goal is, and so we set assessment tasks in grade all through the MYP to build so students can be successful in grade 11 and 12. Again, so uh, I taught biology. I would be doing myself a disservice as I, if I was grading them easier in the MYP. If anything, we're quite strict with the students because we know that we want them to build the skills that allow them to be successful. But there are so many factors that can happen between grade 10 and grade 12 uh, that that becomes that would be very, very hard to predict. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So how do we have, uh, additionally with our school program, we also have an advisor program. And through the advisor program in the MYP in particular, we support the students in something called CAS, which is Creativity, Activity, and Service. And so with the help of the advisor teacher, we would kind of support the student in choosing at least one activity uh, in school and then maybe two outside of school that helps them kind of broaden themselves in terms of a creativity piece an activity piece, and then doing something service-related. So because we value them being well-rounded so much, we actually kind of mandate that students are involved in one of each of those activities. And then as an advisor teacher, we'll support them in finding what that is. Today we have our uh, co-curricular fair, where the students from one till two will be uh, walking around, speaking to teachers about the different clubs, activities, and service pieces that they can get involved with, so they know exactly what the options are as well. Does that answer it? Oh, where do we stand? Um, I think that would be a question that's probably dependent on a, a whole number of factors, uh, right? The Fraser Institute's ranking is very dependent uh, only on one test. 
right? And so if you wanted to know kind of how Mulgrave sits nationally, I think that, that one ranking is probably not the best option because it only assesses students on one specific test. So there'd be a whole range of factors that would go into that. Uh, I'm not sure if anyone kind of nationally ranks Mulgrave. Uh, I think first. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but sorry. <laughs> Yeah. And I think that that might be a really good question too for the, the university counselors who you can reach out to as well because they can kind of provide you with some more data around like where students go and student acceptances and that piece as well. Thank you so much.